Salo for lover, you're listening to Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific. Coming up... The rule is that it has to be in our custody on the 14th of December. Pre-polling officially comes to an end in Fiji. Also... Women, the girls, they have to leave their family at night time, their children... Frontline volunteers in Tuvalu battle COVID but are still putting their community's needs first. And later on... We need them to be in a, in a much better place. So, yeah, we've got a few camps to give ourselves a best chance for that. We tell a with Spencer Pryor, the new coach of the PNG women's football team. Pre-polling for the 2022 Fijian general election has come to an end. While the Fijian elections office has yet to reveal the final voter turnout numbers, as of 4.30 this afternoon, more than 40,000 Fijians cast their votes. Rachel Nath has the latest. As pre-polling in Fiji comes to an end, it has been riddled with challenges. Supervisor of Elections Mohamed Sanim says amendments were made to pre-polling schedules over the last five days. Mr. Sanim says FEO staff could not reach a pre-polling venue in Vanualevu due to a flooded river, and schedules were also moved to accommodate students sitting their external exams. Despite these challenges, more than 40,000 Fijians have cast their votes this week. Sanim says voter turnout over the last four days has averaged around 60%. And... uh... I believe that it is an essential uh, indicator for everybody to now look at uh, next week and uh, look at opportunities and avenues for enhancing voter turnout in Fiji. For those voting through postal ballots, the Fijian Elections Office says ballots need to be posted ahead of time. But we have to get a lot more back uh, for uh, the election, uh, which and the date is the... 14th of December, 6 p.m., it has to be back. You cannot mail it to us on 14th of December. The rule is that it has to be in our custody on the 14th of December. As of Tuesday, the FEO had received 1,000 postal ballots of the 9,000 sent out. Next Wednesday, Fijians will head to the polls to determine who will form their next government. Tuvalu Red Cross is making plans for the next phase of its COVID-19 response ahead of Christmas. Spokesperson Milikini Failautsusi told Lydia Lewis this information has been an issue and her team is working on a plan for the new year. She says the spread of the virus has been rapid, adding that all of the frontline volunteers in Funafuti have had or contracted COVID-19 while putting their community first. Did everyone get COVID? Yes, but then they get COVID at different times, like the first week there are like half or I think more than 10 people got COVID and then the second the second week the other people haven't got COVID and then those who already contracted they're being recovering and yeah some of the volunteers have just recently got COVID but I think I wouldn't think anyone wouldn't get the COVID because this is a very small space. In one way or another, you can you can be able to get COVID. And what next? What phase of the response now is the country in? For Tuvalu Red Cross, we're now working on our community engagement uh, and accountability work plan to assist with the awareness and disseminations of uh, information to the public. And uh, it's something that we're looking at for next year because... 
we're also trying to do a survey on uh, how do people um, see the needs to respond to COVID because we'll listen learn workshop to assist us with realigning our strategic uh, direction for next years on how to do community um, engagement. It's more on um, community awareness and our activities because we're community-based. Has there been misinformation about COVID? What concerns have come up? A lot of misconceptions and fears about the COVID because of people to social media and they were able to get wrong information. They were able to get the misleading information from the internet. The volunteer has assisted the Ministry of Health uh, with the perception survey on uh, COVID-19 and they have found out that uh, the main means of people to get information is social media and radio. Of course, radio is everywhere to well, but for social media, which is uh, something that the um, the people are more engaged in with internet, like something is fast, you can access 27. And uh, we feel that uh, from our side, we feel that there is a need to do more awareness. There's a need to do more dissemination of the right information to direct people to right sources, but to provide as much as uh, a environmentally friendly um, uh, services and information that anyone can access. I think also language is a barrier as well. Um, uh, one videos which is misleading viral at any time because people start sharing on Facebook and Botswana Red Cross. Um, that is what we have been helping um, the public to share as much information in our media um, platform, Facebook, with the, the more uh, uh, active um, platform here in Tuvalu and uh, to share it as much as we can in both languages. But um, that's, that is our main focus for next year. We are happy that uh, we have been a very big part of this response. But we are hoping for more coordination in the near future because not only for COVID, but also for disasters and other emergency that is happening in the country. Yeah. Has COVID-19 helped strengthen that coordination between for the Red Cross? Yes. Mm-mm, yes. I think we have been working closely with the government, um, the Ministry of Health before. But what I feel that... Uh, this particular uh, operations, uh, I think it has started with the vaccine. I think it has the raised the bar for the volunteers, for the people to value their contribution. Because my perceptions is that um, people always look at the volunteer as someone who is not valuable. But the contributions that they have done for this operation is beyond, you know, um, explanations or matches. But what I wanted to everyone to know that um, the volunteer is someone who is very valuable because uh, the contributions to the people are not only personally but socially and um, for everyone they reach is something that I cannot um, yeah, put into paper and the people are very grateful that 
because we don't have a lot of doctors or nurses, but the ones that comes to their houses is the volunteers, the one that comes and talks to them about the disease, about preventive measures, what they want to know, or if they need something, the volunteers there to assist them. What is your message to the volunteers? It's getting close to Christmas as well. Um, have they done a great job, or yeah, can you do the message for them all? Yes. The sacrifice that they have to put up with their families, I've seen that a lot of volunteers here, women, the girls, they have to leave their family at night time, their children, or they may not be able to see their children, like the whole day, and then come at night, and they will come, the children are sleeping, and even the volunteers who are working with the operations, and, and we had so much love and admiration for them for the work that they've done, because... Tuvalu Red Cross, the volunteers are the backbone of uh, the organization. The Tuvalu government has not updated its COVID-19 figures for nine days. The last figures reported by the Department of Health on its social media accounts and to the World Health Organization was on November 30th. 2,779 cases were reported in the community. RNZ Pacific has tried to contact the government via phone, but patchy phone lines have hampered efforts. The new coach of Papua New Guinea's women's football team admits time is not in his favour as the side attempts to qualify for the World Cup for the first time. PNG face a potential two playoff matches in February for the tournament being held in New Zealand and Australia later in 2023. Spencer Pryor once played with the likes of Manchester City, Norwich and Leicester, whom he won the English League Cup with in 1997. He's currently overseeing the PNG squad and taking them through their paces. Craig Stephen asked Pryor about his impressions of the team and his hopes for the future. Uh, hey, um, now I see that um, you've so you've had uh, a couple of training sessions with the uh, the women's team. Uh, I think one in yeah one in Port Moresby is that the case, and one in Sydney. We had so after they came across for a, a tournament in Canberra, we managed to keep them here for another two and a half weeks. So we had um, a training camp in Sydney so that we managed to get like a three-week block with them um, before they went back to Port Moresby. Um, when they went back there, we then decided to go over and make sure that we had a look at all the players because we didn't have them all over here in Sydney. So we went across there, watched the game, um, and managed to pick about another 10 players to come across for another training block in Sydney before Christmas. Okay, so how many players have you um, had in your training camp so far? Well, at the moment, we've got 22, um, with another couple at least coming across, and then there's another couple that we're looking to get in as well. So at the moment, we're at 22, but we're looking at 23 to 24, potentially. Okay, so after that um, Four Nations tournament in Canberra and after the training sessions, what's your impression of the team? Uh, they're getting better. Right. That would be a pretty short assessment. Um, when we saw them in Canberra, it, it was quite a long way off of where they need to be, but they knew that, they understood that, and they were very surprised themselves where they were actually at. But, you know, I think the, the thing had was because they hadn't kicked the ball probably for about 10 weeks, so you, you, you can't do that and then just rock up and expect to perform in the tournament. So 
it kind of opened their eyes to where they were actually at. But having then had them for a couple of weeks in Sydney, we started to get them back to the levels where they were before and getting them even further ahead. Um, so we know that by the time we get to February, we, we, we need them to be in a, in a much better place. So, yeah, we've got a few camps to give ourselves a best chance for that. All right. Uh, and you're playing Philippines this weekend and I think in next week for two international yeah. friendlies. So that will give you a, a very good insight into what level you're, you're at th- at that point. It, it's, it's a great benchmark. I mean, obviously the Philippines have qualified for the World Cup under Stadge, which is great for them. And he's shown what can be done within sort of 12 months time frame to get a team where they need to be to be competitive. Um, it's largely it's largely based on just physical preparation. You know, there's obviously some technical stuff that's gone in there and tactical stuff, but it's massively massively physical the preparation that he's done to. You know, they by all accounts from speaking to him, the Philippine girls they work super hard. I think we've got a similar sort of group here that are all have that application to work really hard. So we, we know where we need to get. I I'm not sure we are exactly where we want to be, but you're right, it will give us a good benchmark as to how they've progressed since the tournament that they went in Canberra. Yeah, um, because that um, that tournament in Canberra, you I mean, the team suffered two losses, including a 3-0 loss to Solomon Islands, who I think were the lowest-ranking team in possibly in Oceania, but... Um, yep. and, and then, of course, the, um, there was illness sort of uh, so you, throughout the team, so you weren't able to play in that last game. Um, but so, is there some concerns? I mean, there must be some concerns, basically, um, from that tournament. I don't have any concerns. All right. That tournament. It's a, I don't have concerns from that tournament because it's a very different side to what what went into that tournament. Um, uh, you know, credit to, to Fiji and Solomon Island for the way they performed in that. But we, you know, we, we didn't have the team at that stage and we hadn't had any preparation. So they came in cold. Uh, <laughs> they came in on their own. They managed to get themselves to the accommodation. Uh, and then, yeah, it was, it was a bit of um, a last-minute uh, last organisation to get there, but they managed to get there. Um, but for us, it, it, in a way, it was a good thing because, like I said, it, it showed where they where they were in terms of their level. But that wasn't acceptable for what they're looking for. So um, it was literally only after that tournament that we stepped in and started to make the changes that we needed to make around the training program as much as anything. PNG play Panama on February 19th in Auckland and should they win that, play either Taiwan or Paraguay four days later for a place at the World Cup. That's Pacific Waves for today. Remember, you can download us for free to your device from Spotify, iHeart or Apple Podcasts. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can also find us. Pafitsa Tilelava, Manuele Bayaso.